Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now and you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Caitlin Shetterly is the author of Pete and Alice in Maine, a novel. Caitlin is the author of Modify, and Made for You and Me, and the editor of the best-selling Fault Lines, Stories of Divorce. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, the New York Times Magazine, Orion, L, Self, and on Oprah.com, as well as on This American Life and various other public radio shows. She is the editor-in-chief of Frenchly, a French arts and culture online news magazine. A Maine native, she graduated with honors from Brown University and now lives with her two sons and husband in her home state. Pete and Alice in Maine is her first novel. Welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Pete and Alice in Maine. Thank you for having me so much. Moms also don't have time to promote books, it turns out, but 
I'm coming from a sweaty run, but um, it's so <laughs> nice to be on here and it's so nice to meet you in person. Mm-hmm. I love the thoughtful things you said about my book, but also just about all books. Oh. It means so much to me to read the things you say because I can tell you really care and that that doesn't happen that much in the world these days. Thank you. I do care. Probably too much. I'm like, what am I even doing with myself? <laughs> like, like, I don't know. You're, you're reading a ton. <laughs> I am reading a ton. I know, but I love it. This happened to have been one book that I carried with me on like every trip for so long, just like meeting it out, you know, like I didn't want it to end, like little bits. And I, so I've been reading, uh, sometimes I read in one fell swoop, but this I read over time. And um, so I feel like I've really like gotten to know your character so well and that like I'm friends with them and like I root for them. Anyway, so Pete and Alice are, are my buds. Why don't you tell listeners what your book is about? It's about a couple that comes to Maine, to their second house in Maine, just as COVID descends on New York City. They, you know, are the kind of people who are lucky enough to have a second house to retreat to. And they come and all is not necessarily well in their marriage and in their family, but they're suddenly thrown back together again and they're stuck in the house and the neighbors in Maine are not exactly pleased that these New Yorkers have come perhaps carrying COVID right there in March of 2020. I wrote it, you know, I'm born and raised in Maine. I don't have a second house anywhere. (laughs) But, you know, I wrote it because there were all these license plates coming in at the beginning of COVID that we'd see when we were outside of, you know, going for a run or a walk or whatever with Massachusetts plates or New York plates or New Jersey plates. And at first it was upsetting to those of us who are Mainers. We were, you know, we're actually a poor state, not, you know, if you take the whole state into account, not just the coast, which is more affluent. And, you know, we don't have a lot of hospital beds. At that point, we didn't have very many ventilators. And many of us were really concerned. Like we didn't have enough toilet paper. They were meeting it out at the grocery store down the stairs. Sorry, down the stairs also downstairs, but down the road, they were meeting it out at the back of the grocery store, you know, two rolls to a family and to sign. And it just, it was one of those moments where we, I think many of us thought, how is this ever going to work to have this, this influx of people? But then, you know, this voice came to me in April of 2020. My husband was asleep. I was down at the fridge and I was getting vitamins as we all were taking copious fistfuls of vitamins at that point in time. And this voice came out and it was Alice. And literally the first two or three pages of the book just fell out. And I thought, oh, well, this is extremely inconvenient right now. I'm homeschooling my children. Everybody's on top of each other. I am working on another book where I was supposed to be. (laughs) And I thought, you know, this just isn't going to work. But I came up and I wrote down everything she said. I went to sleep. Next morning, the next page came out and I thought, oh my God. And I said to my husband, I've been visited by this character (laughs) and she's talking to me. And he said, just write it down. So I did. And I started going. And what it really became was an exercise in empathy that, you know, we might see these cars come in with license plates that aren't ours, right? This is an experience of difference and from away and But how do we be tolerant? How do we have empathy? We don't know what's behind those tinted glass windows necessarily. We don't know what's going on in those lives. And I wanted to know, beyond COVID, what was making somebody want to come to Maine to find refuge? Like, what were they running from? And I feel like so many things were happening, you know, in the world at that time. We had had COVID. We had Trump as our president. The environmental disaster that's ongoing 
And what what tips the scales and what makes actually the COVID situation an exit hatch? So that's kind of where the book began and why I wrote it. And I loved writing it. And like you, those characters became friends for me. My friend Selena and I would go on walks and we would like talk about Pete and Alice, like, you know, they lived up the road or something. <laughs> and I still talk about them. Last night at dinner, I was saying, well, Pete and Alice are now, <laughs> They would, my older son's like, oh God, they aren't real, but we feel like they're real. So like, do you still hear their voices? Like, what are they doing now? Do you know? Well, that's, I'm trying to figure that out. You know, I realized I wasn't quite done with them. As you know, the book ends on sort of a cliffhanger. Yep. And I wasn't done. And I felt like they were still in my head. And um, I had to get through all the sort of book stuff, you know, all that crazy time when you're writing essays and doing all these other things. And it feels very discombobulating. But this fall, when I sat down to write again, they came back out and I realized there was more I wanted to discover with them. And also I wanted to go back to those girls. They have two daughters. Yep. I have sons. So for me, this was, of course, I was a daughter. I have lots of female friends and I know daughters. But for me, this was kind of special because I almost got to create daughters and get to know them a little bit. And I really wanted to go back to those girls, especially Sophie as she's entering her teenage years wanted to follow that along a little bit and see what happens. So that's where I am now. So you're, so you're writing another a conclusion, essentially, part two. Part two. I mean, you know, I, I love Elizabeth Strout's work, you mm-hmm. know, that picks up yeah. with different characters. And John Updike, who was one of my mentors and somebody who's writing, I just adore. He wrote the Rabbit Run books, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, you know, and the Maple stories or Richard Ford's novels. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I don't want to write other things. Oh my gosh, there are so many other things I want to write. But I just, I, I could still hear these characters talking to me and fighting with each other in my head. And I, I had to get them out first. And mm-hmm. then maybe I can go on to the next thing. Love that. No, I love when characters have second lives, like, you know, all in the family goes over to, you know, different strokes or something, you know, like in the, how you have like guest appearances and like you get to see them in different contexts. Like that's also really neat. Like, anyway. I think we all do. I think it's because, you know, that's how our lives work, right? Like a book is a snapshot of a time usually and an event and there's usually some sort of crescendo, but truthfully, like lives go on. And I think the normal, the quotidian, the normalization of a life going on is very comforting for for readers. It is for me anyway. I love it when I read Elizabeth Strout and I realize, oh gosh, that's Lucy. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, that's that guy from that other book. You know, I, I just find that so sort of exciting. Yeah. Sort of a, yeah. a recognition. Yeah. yeah. Familiarity. Anyway, talk about when you were writing, how and all the things that were going on and how you said it was so inconvenient. How did you actually fit this in? Because we can all imagine what that time was like in our various lives and being, you know, home and stressed and talk about like when you found the time and how you, how you managed to carve it out and what even the act of writing did for you emotionally during that time. Yeah, that's a great, great question. Like so many mothers, parents, you know, it's so hard to find the time to do anything for yourself, even that 10 minute run, you know, or do a few sit-ups, whatever it is, make a separate dinner that isn't the same mac and cheese for the fourth night in a row or whatever. But, you know, during that time, COVID gave me this unusual break, Zibby. It was like, I mean, it wasn't a break, but it strangely was. Mm -hmm. One of the things that beleaguers my life is how much driving I do. 
Mm-hmm. And that was suddenly wiped away, like taken out of my life. I find that driving is the biggest energy zap of my existence. I, I mean, there was a period last year where I said to my husband, if I have to drive down 295 one more time, I am going to be so spiritually bankrupt by the 1st of June. I may have to just lie down for three weeks. You know, I just felt like I, it was sucking my lifeblood. And I think that those of us who, you know, drive our, ferry our kids to activities and want to give them these rich lives, maybe even richer lives that we had, there's this great responsibility to ferry them lots of places and to be there with the water bottle and this and that. So immediately some time was made that way. My husband also was really excited about this story. I wrote the first chapter thinking it would be a short story that I would send out to, you know, the five magazines that still take short fiction and they would all say no and we would all be relieved and be able to move on. But I I wrote it and I read it to my husband one night and it was like midnight. And he said, oh my God, what's happening now? And I said, well, no, you, I think you've misunderstood. Like this is done. That was a period. I'm over with this. Like that was a short story. And he said, no, no, no. I need to know what happens next. You got to write this for me. And he went downstairs and he got us each a glass of wine. And he made, we had four oysters that somebody had dropped off for us. And we never eat oysters, but he like found this David Tannis recipe and fried them up and let me eat them. And he was, we sat on the couch and we talked about it. And he just gave me this pitch that was basically like, I really think these characters, like the, you know, these are all the things that are going on and why I want to hear more. So I sat down to write the next thing thinking, okay, well, this will be like a long short story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Parts one and two of a short story. I've seen short stories do that. And then it was kind of like, okay, well, what happens after that? And I just kept going. One thing that COVID gave us, though I was homeschooling my kids, I mean, it was kind of funny because my kids did not do online school. They took one look and were like, no way, that is not for us. And I had one in preschool at the time God, the other one, I guess, was in fifth grade. But part of the reason they did that is that in late February, when the the flu was, the, the COVID was breaking out in China and other places, I had this feeling, sneaking suspicion that, you know, globalization, that would come here. But, you know, like everybody, I thought it was going to be a flu and it was going to be like two weeks. So I asked my kids casually one night, what would you want to do during those two weeks? Say if we all got the flu and got sick, is there anything you might have to not go to school? for a couple of weeks. My older one said French and French culture. And my younger one said Egypt and mummies. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the library because between three of us, we all had library cards and I got out 150 books on everything to do with Egypt, France, French, French culture, language, whatever. And I hid them under a blanket in my office. And so when COVID happened, I was sort of like, ta-da! And my kids <laughs> books. And so we had this ready-made sort of curriculum that we built together in the next few days, the kids and Dan and I. And then when the online thing started, they just thought, well, this is more interesting. And so Dan and I really threw ourselves into it. What that meant was that we weren't on anyone else's schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got to carve out little bits of time while he took them out in the woods or whatever. And it was really special because we got to put down so much of the busyness and so much that's about as mothers carving our lives around the schedules of other people. And I didn't have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to heed by every everyone else's rules. You know, I, I, I could just 
exist in a very slow way. And in some ways, I was really scared that I wasn't going to be able to start writing again this fall because I thought, what if I need like a plague Mm -hmm. in order to write? What if I can't do it otherwise? But I'm noticing that it's a little different. I'm hectic, but I try to sit down. I'm a person who has a writer never looks back. I write the next, I never go back. I always write the next bit. And I try to leave a little bit for myself to pick like a sentence that's quite not quite finished, a thought that isn't quite finished. And I just write forward and I write for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever I can do. And then it's done. And, you know, I don't do it every day because I can't, but that's what I try to do. I love that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. As you were talking, I was thinking about when I was a stay-at-home mom before I started any of this stuff. And I realized one day with all the calendars and drop-offs and pickups, I was like, I, and I have, I had like this color-coded as I still do, but I didn't even have a calendar for me. Like yeah. I didn't have a calendar. My calendar was right. their calendar. I was like, how could I have my own calendar? There's no room in the schedule for my own right. calendar. <laughs> That's how we all feel. None of us, I, I can't even imagine having a calendar for me. Anyway, well, that's, first of all, I haven't heard of anybody who had the creativity to get a curriculum sort of hidden. I mean, that's so smart of you and how extraordinary for your kids to have their interests met and that you devoted your life to just sort of fostering their interests. And what, I mean, that's just the coolest. That, that's really awesome. We had an awesome time. I mean, we, you know, we studied eels and then we made math problems out of the eels and we studied running as part of, and we sort of measured and did math with the amount, how far we were running. And, you know, we just made everything into a learning thing. Mm-hmm. And that was great. One, one time we, we, we did French Fridays where we, we cooked together. We made something some sort of thing from Julia Child or the Times or whatever, and tried to learn how to cook a French dish. And that was really enjoyable. I mean, we had lots of mistakes, but we had great times and we'd light candles and eat it. But I remember one time we took these, they're called pan bagna, which is like a, a tuna fish sandwich that's sort of soaked with olive oil and vinegar and stuff and olives. And we took these to the beach. And my husband and my sons, not me, I was far down the beach, 
exhumed an entire seal, like rotting seal corpse and pieced it back together to figure out how it worked. And that I'll forever not be able to eat those sandwiches ever again. But it was, you know, we did these sort of unusual things that we would never have done on a Tuesday in September at any other point in our lives. (laughs) That is the craziness of this time that families got so much time together and for good or for bad. That's amazing. Did your husband have any issues with Pete? Because, you know, he does some sort of reprehensible things. I feel like the reader is sympathetic to Pete when we understand him more as well, but I don't know. How does he feel about about it? (laughs) That's a great question. I think, you know, there were some people who were worried uh, or might have thought that Pete was my husband, Dan. They couldn't be more different. He actually, he really was touched by how I understood a lot of the male psyche. He, Mm -hmm. he, I remember him saying to me at one point, wow, I don't know how you do that. And, you know, I've known a lot of men and I've known guys like Pete. I didn't marry a guy like Pete. My husband's sort of the most loyal. He'll do anything for me and the kids. He's so devoted to us. But I've known lots of Pete's. And, you know, any strife in any marriage, of course, you can take your own experience and just overlay it on a larger problem to look at culture and gender and Gen X. I mean, there's so much that I related to about Alice, which is like, you know, being overburdened, Mm-hmm. Not having time to write. I mean, that's one of her problems. She's a mom who does not have time to write. And she writes little notes and puts them in notebooks. And then they end up in vinyl bins under her bed. And she can never quite get back there because he's got the big fancy job. And she desperately wants the time taking care of her kids. So she doesn't want a nanny, but she also resents it. And she's one of these Gen X women like that I feel like I was and lots of women I know are that She's been told she can do it all, but truthfully, there aren't enough pieces of her body to do it all, to have the successful career, to be the kind of mom, to stay home and make cookies, to, you know, be at every PTA meeting, you you know, to be the kind of wife, to go out to dinner with her husband, to look good, you know, and so she always sort of feels like a schlub because she just can't muster it. And so they drift apart, you know, any difficulty between the, with the kids or anything makes them farther, drift farther apart. And so in answer to your question, I think that Dan really felt that I was making a very real portrait of a marriage and a family, but I don't think he ever felt like it was us. You know, it's amazing how you can make up stuff. <laughs> it's true. You know, it's amazing, it's amazing that you can. You don't have to write a, a novel about yourself. I know. It's it's wild. It's fiction. It's amazing. I know. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about you as a writer and how you went down this path. And I just wanted to read this yeah. one sentence, which I don't know why. Just I just it's embodies sort of your skill of writing, I think. Finding Alice was like making some sort of grave rubbing with a thick charcoal pencil on thin, translucent paper. The more of those dark scratches he made on the sheet, the more interesting the little blobs of light and texture appeared, and the more invested he became as she came into focus. I don't know. That's just beautiful. Like Thank you, you. Don't even, you don't really think about applying that imagery to the. It's just I don't know. I just was like, wow, that's a beautiful sentence. How did you become a writer? And I know you went to Brown because I'm, you know, I'm working with Sam Gregory yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love Sam. Love. Tell me, like, how you got from Maine to there, and when writing became a thing, and. Just the quick, you know, quick and dirty of your life. 
Yeah. I mean, I can't, you know, I think I was always a writer. I think Mm -hmm. those of us who are storytellers, you know, we just are. Um, you you sort of write your thoughts down. My mother's a writer and my dad's an artist. And so I grew up in a family with lots of books and poetry and writing around me. But I also found that I also felt very isolated in some ways in my family for reasons I won't go into. But the thing is, is that I, I found writing to be a refuge for myself. And it was a way, place I could sort of close the bathroom door, lock it, sit on the toilet seat and just write down in my journal or, or a story or whatever what was going on for myself. And I was really profoundly moved by books. I loved books. You know, I would spend hours reading. I was just a voracious reader and I was very touched by the world, you know, Mm -hmm. so everything, you know, sort of would coalesce in my brain as thoughts, imagery, words. Mm -hmm. But as far as, you know, I grew up in a small town in Maine and I just applied, I, I went to visited colleges and I went to Brown and thought it seemed great and got in and loved it. I had just absolutely loved it. I had a blast and I wish I could go back <laughs> short. So anyone out there who is listening or watching, who's about to go to college, like savor it because it's gone before you know it. And then you know, I took a year off and went to France for a year because I had visited France and I just felt like the pressure of trying to get into college and all that was something I needed to unravel a bit from. And then I went to school. So I was a little more mature at that point. And then, uh, yeah, so that's, that's it. And then I started writing. I actually really wanted to be an actress and I still do. (laughs) That's sort of one of those dreams. It's just like, you know, never happened, but I was writing all the time. So I just kept writing and being an actress seemed complicated and hard. And my family didn't understand why I would ever want to be an actress. So the path of least resistance in a lot of ways that was in some ways less threatening and challenging and less brave was being a writer because I already knew I had a, I had a roadmap for that. Mm-hmm. Wow. But what's been cool about that and what about, I went to acting school in New York and then is that I love to think in the voices of other people. And I had this acting teacher one time who really talked about falling in love with even your worst characters. So like if you're playing Yago, you have to love Yago. You have to really connect with what Yago is struggling with. So to go back to Pete and to get into the mentality of Pete, of somebody who's hurting his family, you know, I had to fall in love with him and care about him and want to protect him just as much as I did Alice and his truth. And that's something you really have to do to be a good actor, I think. I mean, it's this deep sensitivity that enables all of the things, right? Yeah, you yeah. Know, just listening and feeling like you're someone else. I remember saying this, like I went to some career development class in business school and I was like, well, I'm really good at like being in other people's brains. Like I can imagine, I can put myself in other people's shoes and they're like, congratulations, how about marketing? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm like, what do I do with this? This is such a random thing. I can't even explain it. But anyway, it turns out right. it's, you know, writing. So there you go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Any words of advice for other writers, people who um, are drawn to this crazy world of, of wanting to create and listen to the voices in their head and, and all of that? What advice would you give? I think the things I try to say to people are, one, always carry a little notebook. I carry lots of these like little things like this. Um, I've got tons and tons of them. And some of them are just like the little mead spiral notebooks. I keep them in my back pocket, in my car, in my apron, down in the kitchen, 
you know, next to the phone, just everywhere. Because ideas strike anytime. And most of us don't have time to actually go sit down and sort of conjure the genius. We have to, you know, piece it together later. So though you may have many, many, many notebooks and you don't do anything with them, at least you've validated that idea, that spark. And you may come back to it. The other thing is I would throw out the window, this idea that you have to write for two hours every day. I mean, I find that ridiculous, absurd, and punishing. I mean, I think that's for like men whose wives are doing everything. They can sort of conjure the genius and sit in their study for two hours while the mother makes breakfast and ferries everybody everywhere. I I don't know how you do that two to four hours a day or something. I write for 20 minutes sometimes, 15 minutes. Andre Debuse, the third, who wrote House of Sand and Fog, he was working on a construction crew and he would write for 15 minutes in his truck. You know, you can put a story together. And the third most important thing is to never really end a thought, like end it while you're feeling like you're chugging along and leave the sentence dangling, dangling or the thought dangling and then come back to it. So you've got somewhere to jump in. I think that's really important. And don't look back, like don't reread your writing from the day before that. That's just the surest way to shoot yourself in the foot. You need pages, not, you know, criticism from your inner critic. I think. I feel like I always forget. Like, I'm like, wait, what did I have? What happened? What did I, who was this person? What did they look like? Like, I feel like every time I go back, I have to like start from the beginning. Like, okay, fine. Here I am. Maybe that's my Well, opinion. yeah, maybe just go back like a sentence or two. And if you get it wrong, like I, what I do is I keep a notebook open and I write down, okay, when were Iris and Sophie, when were their birthdays? How old are they? Mm. That's what I did the other day. But it doesn't matter because they're about this age for what I'm writing. Yep. And I'll be okay. I'll fix that later. You know, some of it you just have to say, I'm going to fix this later and it's fixable. And anything is fixable in a rewrite. True. That's great advice. Caitlin, this was so fun. I hope I get to meet I you. I love it. In real, it's in real so life. great to it's meet so you. <laughs> I hope we get to meet in real life. Yes, it's so great. Oh. And thank you so much for your deep empathy that you bring to all this oh, book. Thank you. It's really special. Thank you. Love it. Well, congratulations. So awesome. Thank you. All Thanks right. so much for having me. Of course. My Take pleasure. Care. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? 
we wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.